Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF the Podcast. This is episode 99 called Susie. This episode is sponsored by Binto, personalized supplements for your body and no one else's. Binto is the women's health company on a mission to help women everywhere get access to safe and effective over-the-counter products alongside access to licensed healthcare professionals at an all attainable price point. Binto is a monthly subscription of personalized vitamins made just for you. They deliver right to your door each month, so you never have to think about reordering your supplements. Each packet comes individually wrapped with your name on it, so it's easy to stick to your vitamin routine and actually enjoy taking them every day. Here's how it works. Go to mybinto.com, take the health survey, and get matched to your personalized supplement routine. The short survey will ask you questions about your general wellness and reproductive health, including where you are on the fertility journey and how Binto can support you. You'll get matched to a suite of supplements just for your needs, and you'll get access to real, licensed healthcare professionals who will help you every step of the way. Binto is founded by Susie Welsh-Devine, a fertility nurse who realized women were doing a lot of the guesswork themselves and waiting too long to get answers. Binto's healthcare providers offer online chat support and telehealth appointments to make sure you feel supported, informed, and empowered when it comes to your health. They are organic, vegan-friendly, and gluten-free, and are completely safe to take while trying to conceive and alongside fertility medications. If you'd like to try your personalized Binto supplement routine, go to mybinto.com today and use code INFERTILEAF at checkout to get 20% off your first month. Up your glow with Binto. Okay, guys, I am so excited about my guest today. Susie Welsh-Devine is a fertility and IVF nurse and the founder and CEO of Binto, and she has dedicated her career to reinventing the way women take care of their health. So I met Susie through Binto, who has been a longtime supporter of this podcast and has also worked with Fertility Rally. And it's interesting because although she started out as a fertility and IVF nurse, she's now on the other side and she's going through IVF herself. So today, Susie is going to tell us all about her journey, which includes endometriosis, uterine polyp, loving her body, but also hating it at the same time, a miscarriage that she had last summer, and what's going on now with her and her husband. So it's an incredible story. She is so pro-women and I love her and she's breaking ground in terms of women's health and doing all this great stuff through Binto. So I'm super excited to have her on the show. And without further ado, this is Susie's infertility story. So Susie, hi, it's so good to talk to you. I know you too, Allison. Thanks Thank for you. having me on the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. So I know a little bit about your story just from talking to you before we start recording and reading up on you on the Binto website, because you are a founder of Binto, which we'll get into a little bit later, but I'd love to start with, you've got endometriosis, right? Yeah. So let's start there. When did you find out that you had it? Was it like in your teen years or was it later in life or how did that go down? No, it was all pretty shocking. Full disclosure, I'm actually a fertility and IVF nurse. That's and right. You are, yeah, like which is you so said, cool. I'm so yeah. excited to talk to you from like all the different angles. I know. It's very 
odd to be in the patient seat now, I guess I would call sure. it. I've had because you're also ground. going to IVF. Exactly. So okay. it's a very interesting perspective to see it from both sides. But I'm sure. Yeah, I never thought that I was going to be in this situation. Of course, you know, when my husband and I started trying, it took like six months to convince him. I'm like, please, you know, it could take us a long time. It took and you that, to convince him to start? Yes. Okay. And I was like, let's just start now. Yeah. So, you know, it took him time to be like, okay, we're in a good spot to try. Yeah. It's a big um, jump for a lot of guys. Yeah. My husband I was th- kind of the same. Definitely. I think it is. And, you know, being the founder of a startup, I think he's just, I'm very comfortable with risk. And I think he's very risk averse. So, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of men think that it'll happen right away. Right. And for us, it did not. And we started trying in late December, early January, 2019, 2020. So a year ago and January didn't get pregnant, but I started noting this really strange, like burning cramping in my uterus. Mm. And I've never had this before. And it Mm. was, uh, happened the week leading up to my period. So I thought like, Oh good. It's implantation cramping. Mm. I'm pregnant. We didn't get pregnant tried again in February, same thing, except the burning got a little bit more intense and started earlier. Mm -hmm. And that month we actually had a chemical pregnancy, found that out, I guess like March 3rd. So this is all right before the, you know, the shutdown. Right. And I emailed one of our scientific advisory board members, uh, Dr. Maureen Kelly. And I said, Hey, Maureen, um, am I psycho because I'm a fertility nurse or like, should I be concerned that something's wrong? Mm. And she said, why don't you come in? And I went in, my husband had a semen analysis. When I started bleeding, I did my day three blood work and we went in for an ultrasound and we found a uterine polyp Mm -hmm. and you know, we thought it was the uterine polyp. And then eventually in the summer after I'd had that polyp removed and the burning cramping came back, we figured that it was very likely that I have endometriosis. And and we uncovered some other symptoms that I didn't really put two and two together. Sometimes sex is painful for me or uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. like pressure, Mm -hmm. but I never really associated that as pain. And I did have cramps, but everything was so balanced for me because of Bento. <laughs> I think like I, yeah. Like so for people my, who are listening, who might not know, tell me, right. what, tell us what is Bento and how did you, <laughs> yes. I, I would also love to backtrack and find out when you became a fertility nurse and, and sure. why you decided to go down that road. So I guess let's just back up a little bit if you don't mind. Yes. I think that would be helpful for all of our listeners. So <laughs> I, um, I went to nursing school undergrad. I, um, at UVA, I finished, I came to Philadelphia which is where I am today. And I started working for Hahnemann University Hospital in labor and delivery, postpartum. And then I did NICU nursing. So that's the neonatal intensive care unit. Oh my gosh, those people are angels. Yeah, so many cute babies. So that was really fun for me. But along the way, I worked with a lot of nurses who were struggling with fertility. And it was something that was extremely fascinating to me. And just how conception works. Why do some couples struggle when they're seemingly healthy, Mm -hmm. whereas others, you know, are fine. So 
it's always been at the top of my mind. And women's health is my passion. I Mm -hmm. went to Africa when I was young and I knew like, that's what sparked me on this journey to into healthcare and women's health. And from there, I got into grad school at the University of Pennsylvania. And I also got a job offer at the same time to go work at their fertility clinic as an IVF nurse and patient educator. So I did both of those at the same time. I was young, I'd say 24. Wow. You know, and like looking back, I thought I understood the pain and the grief and the suffering that my patients go through or, you know, went through Mm -hmm. um, past tense, but until living it, you know, you don't really understand I'm very empathetic. And I think, you know, I had a very close relationship with many of my patients. Some uh-huh. are at my wedding. <laughs> I yeah. still talk to many of them. To, like, I I do have that ability, but, you know, I really do believe now that until you go through it, it is impossible to understand. Yeah, I think so um, as the, well. The mental health impact that this diagnosis has on people. Yes, so, exactly extremely painful, but I worked there for three years and that's what gave me the idea for Binto and Binto stands for bun in the oven. I never Um, knew that. Yes. I know. It's so silly. That's so cool. I like that. Oh, thank you. How did I not put that together? (laughs) We don't really talk about it because someone has the trademark for bun in the oven. Okay. So we don't, I mean, we own the trademark for Bento, but someone right. else owns the phrase. And Okay, that we, makes sense. Yes. So the same time I was working at Penn Fertility, I was in a program at Wharton. And we had to, it was an entrepreneurship program. I had this idea and I knew I wanted to make a subscription service that personalized over-the-counter products to help women navigating the fertility journey. You know, mm-hmm. as a nurse, you field so many questions. Mm-hmm. And being and, in the field, you probably saw there was a hole in the market for that, oh, too, right? Like there was, there was a huge nothing need. six years. I came up with this idea six years ago. There was right. nothing. Okay. So it was like, okay you know, they should be using chemical-free toiletry products. Mm -hmm. You know, could that be a link to endometriosis? They always ask about prenatal vitamins and we prescribe them these prenatals, you know, in our system, but what's actually in them? Are those really the best options? Are there other supplements? You know, we would be in these team meetings every Friday and we talk a lot about antioxidants like CoQ10. And, you know, you become a sponge and absorb all of this, not just from the medical side and practicing, but the questions you get from your patients. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's incredibly isolating for them. And wouldn't it be nice to feel like you could have something that you can do that is in your control right. every totally. day that makes you feel good? And so Binto is a women's health company. We now make our own line of over-the-counter supplements and products to support women who are trying to conceive. And we even support women beyond that. So um, if you're young and you're dealing with hormonal imbalance or period struggles, if you are pregnant, postpartum, 
navigating perimenopause or even at like we have customers that are in their 80s that take them to. So now we serve this full life cycle, but fertility is really where it started mm-hmm. and where everything stems from. So I really do believe we were one of these first companies to look at reproductive health for the full life cycle. Even though I worked at a fertility clinic, we because of the field of reproductive endocrinology, you end up working with patients who aren't trying to conceive, who have mm-hmm. other um, a set of symptoms or issues. And so that's where the idea for reproductive health. I love that you're coming at it though from an, a genuine angle of A, they're not being what's, you know, what's missing in the market and B, as like a woman and as a patient, you know what you want. And I love what you said about taking control because as we all know, infertility, there's so much out of your control. So those little bits that you can grab that you can control are so important. And mentally, it makes a big difference as well. Absolutely. I think, you know, my little bento pack is the one thing where I'm like, okay, at least I have totally this little like gift that's helping me stay healthy and, and feel good even when I think it's, you know, one of the biggest things I noticed about infertility is the struggle, like that relationship with my body. I don't know if other women feel this way, but your body goes through so much, so many fluctuations and becoming pregnant and then losing it at, you know, when that happens, it's, you like love your body and you want to be positive and have positive affirmations. But at the same time, I feel like I hate it. It's like this curse. Like, why is it just not working? Yeah, absolutely. That was one of my big therapy moments was like my or actually my doctor, I think at the time was like, you have to look at it. Like when I kept having, you know, recurring miscarriages, he was yeah. like, your body's actually doing what it's supposed to be doing, even though it feels like it's not. Cause it's getting, you know, rid of unhealthy pregnancies. Yeah. So you, if you can kind of frame it that way. And I, I was like, yeah, whatever, easier said than done. Fuck you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but definitely. now I kind of get it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, that was a big struggle of mine in the beginning, especially with starting Binto. And, you know, part of the whole mission of the company is to help women with their fertility and their egg quality. And I felt like, you know, I remember calling my mom one day and saying, I feel like that scene in Legally Blonde mm-hmm. when Elle Woods is in the prison with, I forget the other woman, the one who's accused of murdering mm-hmm. the husband. And she's in her orange jumpsuit and whispering in the phone to Elle, you know, like, I have liposuction. Right. (laughs) Kind of how I I felt for so long, like, hi, I have this amazing company, but like, I have infertility. Right. And it feels really good that I can talk about it. And I think it makes it so much more authentic to I'm sure it will all have meaning at at some point in my life when we look back on this. Well, I feel like it already does. And the level of relatability that you have to the people that you work with on so many different levels, I think is really, is really cool. Absolutely. All right. Well, okay. So let's get back to your story. So your husband and you are trying and what happened next? I went in to see Maureen Kelly. She's a reproductive endocrinologist here in Philly. She's on our advisory board. And she, you know, she got me in immediately. I feel so well (laughs) taken care of. And one of her nurses and I actually worked together at Penn. So I feel Mm -hmm. like 
it's so nice because I'm taken care of and I can get in when I need to. Yeah, which is that a is a big good. thing with right. fertility clinics, which that's a whole soapbox that we can get into later. But we found out I have this uterine polyp. We thought my husband had some sperm issues. COVID happened, had to wait for the polyp surgery. We tried doing it in the office and that just did not go well for me. Mm, um, okay. How long did you have to wait? <laughs> we had to wait till June. Okay. So it was pretty frustrating. Were you in pain you know, during that time? Own. No. Uh, yes. The uterine cramping was happening okay. daily at this point. Oof. And got it out, felt great for a week in June. We retested my husband's sperm. Turns out it's awesome. Got him on supplements, which, you know, hopefully we'll have male fertility supplements soon. Mm-hmm. And we were okay to try on our own. And then that burning cramping came back. And that's when, as I mentioned earlier, we found out that I likely have endometriosis. And, okay. you know, we talked about going in and doing a laparoscopy, which is pretty invasive. It actually used to be a first line treatment option for all women with endometriosis who are going through fertility treatments. And now the past couple of years, we are thinking that we need to just move forward with fertility treatments Mm -hmm. and then treat the endometriosis later. If your endometriosis is not detrimentally, you know, impacting your fertility. So some women may have big endometriomas that are on their ovaries or Mm -hmm. a fallopian tube, et cetera. It doesn't appear that I have those issues. Um, from what we've seen, my tubes are open, but yeah, endometriosis is crazy. I'm, I'm lucky I got to a diagnosis when I did many women, it takes years of frustration to get right. to a diagnosis, which I don't understand why we don't listen to women when they're experiencing this set of symptoms. It's also the only other disease that really acts like cancer Mm-hmm. in the body uh, by the way that it spreads and really attaches itself to other organs. Mm-hmm. And it can not only impact by blocking critical organs that, that play a role in fertility, but it can severely impact egg quality in right. women. So, you know, there's a lot we have to learn about this disease and uh-huh. certainly opened my eyes up more than beyond when I had patients with this. And it's staged similar to cancer. So you can have stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. Some women may have endometrial cells that go all the way into their brain, causing like little strokes every time they have a period. You know, I had a patient like that at Penn and it's really devastating how this disease can really like attack the body. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is very different in other women. My periods, I really only have like one to two days of cramps. Okay. They're manageable. Yeah. And so I don't have that level of pain with my menstrual cycles like many women do, which is probably one of the top things you hear about when you think of endometriosis. So really the goal is to decrease inflammation. It's an inflammatory disease. It's an autoimmune disease, and I hope Binto, we are working on some other products that are anti-inflammatory to help women who, like me, who are suffering with this. So So you weren't the kind of person that had it like in high school when you had... I think I did. Okay, but you didn't... I did have bad cramps in high school. They put me on the pill. It wasn't diagnosed. You know, typical 
we sure. we did a campaign a couple of years ago called No One Ever Told Me. Yes. Because <laughs> um, I think a lot of women have those no one ever told me. Oh my me God. Stories. If I had a dime for every time I've said that or somebody on my podcast has said that, it's exactly all about, you know, the the reproductive education for both women and men, young women and yeah. young men. There's so much that, you know, isn't told continuing on with you and your husband. So it's, it's summer of the lockdown, right? And you've had yes. your surgery. You felt good. You said for like a week in June. Mm-hmm. Then I get this diagnosis and we decide, okay, well, let's do letrozole and IUIs and okay. do an HSG to make sure that your tubes are open. So July didn't get pregnant. Then August, we did the HSG and letrozole and I got pregnant and sometimes I think like clearing out the tubes can really help mm-hmm. so if you're trying an IUI maybe time your HSG around that I do I do think it helps but mm-hmm. like um, the dye from the HSG yes, kind of clears it, kind it of out. flushes out the tubes okay so got pregnant and early September when I was seven weeks went in for a scan and uh, found out that I was miscarrying. So so sorry. We oh I know it's definitely a painful, very painful experience. But mm-hmm. very lucky to have good people surrounding me. I think having a good network is critical. Definitely. Um, and we decided to do a DNE. I wasn't bleeding, and I okay. Wait, what's from, a DNE? Is that different <laughs> from DNC? Yeah, it's actually called a DNE. So it's dilation and expulsion. Oh, right. Um, okay. Yes. Yeah. I've heard of that. No, no, no. It's okay. So that's the procedure you would get to remove the gestational sac and the, and the pregnancy from the uterus. Gotcha. So had that done, we were able to test out the sac for testing, for the genetic testing. And we found out it was like this really rare genetic issue. I forget what specifically. <laughs> It, it, we found out it was, uh-huh. and that's when we all decided, okay, we're just going to go ahead to IVF, okay. even though that was really our first round of letters on IUI, because knowing that I have endometriosis, I was going to have a higher likelihood of abnormal eggs because it will impact your egg quality. And we wanted to be able to filter out and just put back the embryos that are going to be chromosomally normal. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So as an IVF nurse going into (laughs) your own round of IVF, did you feel like you had kind of a leg up on like what to ask and what this meant? And, you know, there's obviously so much somebody that has never done it before doesn't know. Did you feel like you were going in with like at least a little bit of an advantage educationally? Kind of. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do a nursing consult. You know, I've taught hundreds, if not thousands of people how to do their IVF medications and what it is. And I, I kind of wish that we had done it more for my husband because he would ask me about it. And I think I would just get moody and short with him. Like, well, this is just how it is. <laughs> or right. like, it's this, why don't you know that? And then I forget that, you know, we're in a very interesting position where I know way too much mm. and I've seen every worst case scenario. And I feel like I lived through the trauma of infertility with a lot of my patients. Oh, Um, interesting. So, you know, you become very, at least I did, which maybe is 
part of the problem. I I really do think I am an, an empath. And mm-hmm. like I would really try to get on my patient's level to understand and to be with them. But I do think that took a big toll on me mentally. Okay. You know, to make those calls, you know, to tell someone they're not pregnant is also really challenging. So just mm-hmm. remember that. Like, like if you're ever frustrated at your IVF nurse or your doctor, just remember they are in it. They really are in it with you. And to, to make those bad calls is extremely painful. Right. Uh, so, but, you know, you no had one to make wants a lot to of do those, that. You had to make those calls with people <laughs> yes. that you've been on the journey with them, right? Yeah. And then to be on the other end, as you asked, was weird. I felt, you know, I knew everything, but I knew nothing at the same time. That's so interesting that you say that. Yeah. You come up with so many other questions as a patient that, you know, I, let's say for my pregnancy, I'm like, I don't remember my patients talking about this symptom or I don't remember, did they have symptoms with it? Did they, you know, and you, you, your mind spirals and yeah, I would imagine it's a a bit of like information overload where like, exactly. Like you said, you know, too much almost like um, I've said this before, but when I was going through it, you know, I did one round of IVF and I got very lucky and our one healthy embryo did work. And I now have a five-year-old son after secondary infertility, but I didn't know, I swear, and maybe I'm wrong, but when they called me to tell me I was pregnant, it wasn't like your beta is this number and coming again to get your second beta like people do now. Uh huh. They were just like, you're pregnant. Call us when you deliver. And I swear that's all they told me. And I was like, okay. Oh, wow. Like, so I wasn't monitoring it super closely. And I almost feel lucky that I wasn't because I feel like that's so stressful. (laughs) And now so many people know so much about numbers and facts and you see everybody on Instagram and you're comparing to other people. You know, like I just wasn't in that world. I was like a little bit, I guess, naive and kind of clueless, but maybe like in the ignorance is bliss kind of way for that portion of it, at least. I think that's awesome. You know, I'm so lucky in that I have a huge group of people that Mm -hmm. I can call on, text, chat with. And I think infertility, like I said, is very isolating for a lot of people. And a lot of you out there might not feel comfortable talking about it Mm -hmm. with anyone. And, you know, that's okay if that's what you need. But I I do think it's healthy to have a support system and to talk about these things. Yeah. But I went through a transfer cycle, as I told you before the call in December, and I felt pressure from a lot of people to start testing with the HCG strips starting on, I think the big thing is like day five Mm -hmm. (laughs) post-transfer. The nurse in me knows this is ridiculous. Don't test. Don't ever do that. If you're why, (laughs) like what's the nurse in you saying? Don't because we know that so many of these drugs can alter the results of a pregnancy test. I was pregnant and I tested and I got negative tests. So Mm -hmm. home pregnancy tests don't work for me. Same thing happened with my IUI when I got pregnant and I should have known like the voice in the back of my head was like, you know, these don't work for you. Why are Mm -hmm. you testing? But I felt like well, like you said, it's a numbers thing and everyone wants the data and to track every little thing. And, you know, people ask us what other products we're going to make it into. Are you going to make ovulation predictor kits or pregnancy test kits? And 
you know, I think those things are great. I've had a very negative experience with them. Mm. I think a lot of people have. And until I can, you know, we can invent or manufacture a much better product that makes you feel good rather than a failure every time you're peeing on one of these things, then I don't want to make that. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, if you're listening and you're going through a transfer cycle and you're thinking about testing early, I, from fertility nurse Susie would recommend (laughs) just waiting, just wait for the beta HCG and for your nurse to call you because then Mm -hmm. they can really hold your hand and walk you through those next steps. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Sitting with it alone and and going through that roller coaster of emotions. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. What are some other things that you would say as nurse Susie to people (laughs) that are just starting out on, you know, the IUI or IVF journey? Mm -hmm. Well, my biggest thing now in all of this is that hormones aren't everything. There's been a big trend over the past couple of years to look at anti-malarian hormone as a predictor of fertility. Mm -hmm. Right. And we actually only use that in IVF clinics to help determine your medication protocol and how you will respond to drugs. Okay. But a lot of people, media companies, whatever it is, use this as a marketing ploy that, you know, we can test your hormones and this will help us determine or help you guide your fertility journey. And, you know, I have perfect hormones. My ovarian reserve looks incredible, yet I have infertility. You could also have an AMH of like zero point whatever and get pregnant that month. Mm -hmm. So hormones are not a predictor of whether or not you go out and try to get pregnant that month, if you will conceive. So take those hormone tests with a huge grain of salt Your AMH can also change from month to month a little bit. It can vary. So if you're someone who just got a diagnosis of DOR, you know, there are some things that you can do and really work with your physician to to figure that out. Um, Okay. So just don't take that as like an end-all (laughs) be-all. That's my biggest thing because there are so many other components that go into fertility, including sperm, um, your partner's sperm, your lifestyle, your environment, your uterus, so the whole anatomy of your reproductive organs, all of that plays into, into your fertility. So mm-hmm. that's probably one of the biggest things okay. that I would say. Isn't and it then, crazy when you, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, no. when you think about all the factors that have to line up for a pregnancy, a healthy pregnancy and a live birth to occur. Isn't it wild? I know. It's such a miracle. Once you know so much about how so much can go wrong, it's like when it happens, you're like, holy shit, how did that ever work? I know. It's so great. I look back at my days at Hanavan when I did L&D and postpartum and NICU and I'm like, wow, how, you know, all those little babies are such miracles. Yeah. um, that it even happens. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do agree with you. Yeah. I'm that sorry. I cut you off blowing. though. You were going to say something else. Oh no. I was just going to say that there are little things that you can do as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, control is my biggest thing. And I think time <laughs> is part of that. And I'm sure there are some of you out there who feel 
you know, that pressure of time when it comes to fertility, whether it's a biological clock or it's your own timeline that you had envisioned for yourself and building a family. I totally get that. And it's natural to feel that way. There's nothing you can do to change it, which really sucks. But that's where those things that you can do that are in your control are going to make such a big difference. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was really deciding what are those extra things that I want to do to help me in my journey. I tried acupuncture. I've done acupuncture before, but for some reason for fertility, I really don't like it. I think it made my burning cramping worse. So I actually turned towards Reiki Mm -hmm. and I have fallen in love with it. It's very Mm -hmm. healing. And I basically meditate and fall asleep (laughs) for Mm -hmm. an hour Mm -hmm. when I do it. That sounds dreamy. And every time I've done this with um, my practitioner, I get pregnant. So I really do think it has helped. So that's like a modality that I really have come to love. So you need to find your thing and go for it. I think mental health is critical. So Mm therapy. I can't stress that enough. Find a therapist who is going to be there to support you. Um, I had been working with a therapist who kind of made me feel like my infertility was my own fault, that I had, quote, some block. And that's really what the endometriosis was. And no therapist should ever tell you that. So if you are in a therapeutic relationship like that, like, get out and work with someone who is going to change that because infertility is no one's fault ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's no blame. And then I think, like I said, taking my bento every night makes yeah. me feel great knowing that I had edited my packs a lot. And I really think it helped my uterine health tremendously. And that's mm-hmm. when I started getting pregnant and then diet, but I'm not hard on myself I think we can really go down a rabbit hole of cutting things out. And again, this goes back to that whole body image component that comes into infertility. So I have really changed my relationship with food to like things that are going to nourish me and that make me feel good. Yes. Um, And then it's made it so much easier for me. And I'm a very healthy person naturally. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, that has made it easier for me to be like, okay, I, it's fine. If I have some chocolate, like that's not going to be detrimental to my Mm -hmm. quality or like, you know, you have to, to shift your thoughts. Well, I love the notion of instead of restricting so much, adding things that nourish you. I like that mindset a lot because I think a lot of us growing up, you know, it's so hard, female body image and all that eating disorders and whatnot. Mm -hmm pressures from your friends, you know, a lot of us grew up thinking like, you have to restrict, you have to restrict, you have to restrict. And it wasn't until I was like hit 40 that I was like, I need like body is fuel. I want to be healthy, you know? So like, if you look at it from that point of view, it took me so, you know, four decades to like kind of have a healthy relationship with food. And now thankfully I do. And, you know, but it's, I think it's a lot of it has to do with not restricting so much as adding, like you said. So Susie, what, what's next for you guys? And where are you guys at right now? Um, my frozen embryo transfer in December did work. We got pregnant, but it looks like it may be another miscarriage. So, so unfortunately, I know I'm like, we're still in the throes of our story. 
but we are, I think, likely going to move ahead with another retrieval. We do still have frozen embryos from that first cycle, but uh, I really want to focus a little bit more mixing some things up uh, to really work on that egg quality that, as I mentioned, is so critical with endometriosis. So we're going to likely do another egg retrieval probably in February because I have to let my body um, pass everything and then I guess transfer again in the spring. So we are still definitely in the throes of our journey. Yeah. I'm lucky because I do have a lot of answers <laughs> in a world right. where for so many things are very unknown. And one of the things that helps us continue is that I do think I'm still young-ish. I just turned 32. So um, young. Are you <laughs> I know. I thought. Oh my thought God. You founded a, a company little... and like yes. you've done all this stuff. You're oh, a baby. <laughs> yes. Um, I know. I feel old though. But yes, we're still young and we have so many resources at our fingertips. So yes, we're hopeful that we'll be able to use my own eggs um, and that I could carry a pregnancy. But you know, having lived in this world for such a long time, we also know that donor egg is a possibility and it's mm -hmm. a beautiful possibility. And two of my first cousins have children via donor egg and they are incredible. Yeah. And yeah, so we're, you know, I think resilience is key. It's really hard to dig deep and keep going, but I compare it a lot to Binto and, and having a startup where, my God, I didn't realize how much it would prepare me for infertility um, mm -hmm. because you're told no so much as a female in business, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to women's health. And, you know, I take no as it comes. Sometimes I listen to it if it, if it seems right and accurate. And other times you have to understand that you can't take no for an answer and that you need to keep pushing forward. Mm -hmm. So that is where we are. And we're excited about the future and terrified. <laughs> um, just like I'm sure a lot of you are who are listening. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Susie and Susie. Thank you so much. I am rooting for you guys as your journey continues. So guys, also, I wanted to remind you to please check out Fertility Rally, which is a 24-7 community and content hub and support group where you can get everything that you need while you're going through and navigating these shitty and rocky waters. So check us out on Instagram. Our site is being revamped right now. So check us out on the gram at Fertility Rally. Our membership is open. We have monthly and annual memberships and we would love for you to become a part of the fam. And as I always say, it is the worst club with the best members and it's also the place I wish that I had when I was going through it. So hope to see you guys there and I'll talk to you next time.